This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. So, like, I was in my flat, right? It's a bit, it's a bit weird. So I've got a corner door, okay? So it's a, on the corner of a street, which I'm very excited about. And um, you walk straight in and get straight into the lounge, okay? So ground floor lounge. And then the only other room that's upstairs, or ground floor, if you like, is um, a, just it's a toilet with a wash basin, right? And then you go down the stairs into the basement part of the flat and there's a bathroom, a kitchen and a bedroom, right? So fairly standard stuff, just split level. So the upstairs toilet, I don't really use it, but every time I go in there, the toilet looks as if it's been used by someone with dehydration. So I refer to it as the dehydrated ghost toilet. Is that normal? (laughs) Uh, There's no way nobody else has access to it, no? No, zero chance. And like, I mean, it's proper dark as well. And I, I've put bleach down it. I've spent hours cleaning it ever since I moved in. But every time I go out and come back, <laughs> it's been used That's somehow. Weird. It is. It is. It doesn't even smell though, so it must be ghost wee. I think if it's real wee, it smells. What does it taste like? like? A rusted pipe or something? <laughs> is it? What does it taste like? What? Um, rusted pipe? No, I don't think it's. It's not that color. It's. Uh, it's a deep wee colour. Sleepwalking? No, I mean, because usually it's while I'm not in there. I'd have to go to sleep somewhere else and sleepwalk back to my house, let myself in, and then use the toilet. And I think that is almost as unlikely as a ghost wee. Have you changed the lock since you moved in? No, I haven't, no. I, I did immediately, the first time it happened, I just thought, oh, I've just forgotten that I used the toilet in the middle of the night or something, which is weird because I've had to have walked almost past another toilet to go and use it. But, hey, um, you know, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. But the second time it happened, I was fairly, fairly certain that someone was coming in and using it. But they're not. They're just not. It's happened whilst I've remained in the flat, slept, got up in the morning, and it's been there. Uh, so assuming we use this on the podcast, if anyone knows uh, or has experienced ghosts that use the toilets, um, let me know. And how can you hydrate a ghost as well? Any ideas, guys? <laughs> how can you hydrate a ghost? No, uh, no, no. Yeah, um, give him, uh, give him, give him a large um, spirit. Oh, good. oh, hello. Very good. <laughs> good night. Oh, that is that. Yeah, that is. You can go now, mate. That's as good as it's going to get. Yeah. Um, of course, uh, alcohol is a diuretic, so it would be a very temporary boost of, uh, of fluids, um, Albert. So works as a joke, but very impractical, isn't it? Shall we? Thank you very much. Shall we get on with the, <laughs> the pod? Yeah, I'll do, a, do an intro now. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. 
Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest end of season podcast. The dust has settled on a sixth successive season in the top flight. For most of a season where relegation seemed a danger, Palace finished 12th on a 38-game record 49 points. The 51 goals scored was also the highest since the club returned to the top flight. We'll be taking a look back at the games which got us there, the team, the management and the players, as well as looking back at some moments we might want to forget. I'll introduce you to my panel right after this short break. There are 99 reasons to hate Brighton. Homophobia doesn't need to be one of them. Follow us on Twitter at Proud and Palace. Right, well, I really enjoyed that short break, um, but it's time to talk to my presenting team. And first up, well, well, we'll go with the normal, usual kind of person first. And that is Mr. Mike Scott. Normal, usual type of person. That's the nicest thing anyone said. That's the nicest said. thing I've ever said, yeah. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, how you doing, mate? Uh, I'm absolutely knackered. I've had the kids after working, uh, and to be honest, uh, this is the first time I've settled down with a beer, so I'm looking forward to it. Chatting to you lot is the downside, but I've got Holston. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're always at home with a Holston. Yeah. That should be their new... Um... They don't need... They, their drink advertises itself. It's cool. All right. So, um, you missing missing Palace at all yet? Uh... No, I mean, not that much. Um, I've got the, I'm an inside cricket fan as well, so um, seen a bit of Sabi. Uh, got the World Cup coming up in a few days, so it's keeping me going. The thought that uh, I get to go and see Bromley against Palace in July as well, that's that's enough for me. That's all right. Yeah, that should be a cracker. Well, I won't spend any more time talking to you, Mike. I'm just going to move on now. It's um, It's got sort of weird by the end and awkward. Um, joining me for the first time ever on a, on a review type of show, it's only Mr. Sam Hesketh. Hello, Sam. Hooray. Hello. Thanks for having me. That's I'm, what you say, I, isn't it? Yeah, it is what you say and you said it. And now it's uh, now it's out there. Um, so are you, you've been uh, watching a bit of ice hockey today? Been watching a bit of ice hockey. Uh, Canada are losing. I don't really care, but Canada are losing. Um, I'm drinking water. I don't have any alcohol, so likely to be very boring. I'm afraid. Well, that's what we like here: um, boring to the point, and uh, obsessed with them um, with just sport in general. Which, uh, sport in general, and just being miserable. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's what I bring to the table. Well. I'm hoping we're going to kind of temper that a little bit with our final um, member of the panel, Mr. Albert Curley. Hello, Albert. Had I known Sam was going to be on, I wouldn't have done this. <laughs> it's funny every you say week, that, Albert. Every <laughs> week I have to listen to him drone on, and now he's. I've come here for a break, and now he's here banging on about hockey and water. You came an hour late, mate, so we thought you yeah, weren't coming. So you almost didn't. So. Yeah, sorry about that. And another child you've had there. Um, I mean, through the usual method. It was yeah. It was it was not today. fairly recently. Um, yeah, two weeks old, little Bernie, um, another Palace fan. So stick him on the waiting list. <laughs> yeah, uh, is he going to join the singing section? Do you think uh, he can have my ticket? Actually, all right, lovely. Gonna... And and Bernie, where uh, any particular reason for the name? Uh, well, it's half. Bert and half Ernie, isn't it? So <laughs> I like it. 
Um, AKA the best name that you could think of. Yeah, I'll go with that. Smashing. Yeah. That's what I that's what I like to hear. Um Right, so what, what what have I been up to? You ask Albert. Oh, it's good. good I, uh, yeah. Chris, can I ask you something? Can I ask you something? Yeah, of course, you can mate. Yep. Yeah. What what have you been up to? Well, I've kind of this sums up my life at the moment. The, the things that I've been up to. So I've done two things, and one made me much much happier than the other. Careful. The first thing was that I um I had my first proper night out in a long long while because you know I've I've got diabetes. I'm getting older. You know all that kind of stuff. It doesn't really lend itself to, to getting out and go, getting on it. But I, um, you know, I, I saved my, uh, I, I, I sort of saved up my calories, if you like, um, and just, just went for it on a night out and I'm still hung over two days later. So thoroughly, thoroughly great to get out there and about. But the thing that made me so much more happy was today I took delivery of a Brita water filter and a new kettle. For a second there, I thought you said you took uh, delivery of a Brit Award, and I was very excited <laughs> to hear how on earth you'd got in possession of a Brit Award. It wouldn't have been mine, um, but I would take delivery of one. But I'm, you know, I'm excited. I'm drinking filtered water now and, um, and delicious cups of tea. And um, I think that's really just, it means my life is coming to an end, I think. Cause... What did you drink to get a two-day hangover? Um, so, have you, you know, what well, didn't he drink to get? Yeah, well, they, yeah, I spent over two hundred pounds. I don't remember the second hundred pounds worth of alcohol. To be fair, um, was it at a strip bar? No, no, I don't. Well, I assume. Wow, I, I, it was just straight up drinking at at pubs and bars and clubs and things. Um, I've got sort of the second half is like a montage of my memory where I could just remember little bits from little some for some places. Um, pretty, pretty impressive, really. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, what I was doing. You seen you seen in the wire where uh, in the series with the uh, the Dockers, where whenever they drink a beer, they always have a shot of whiskey as well. Yep. I, I did. I did that. Someone mentioned the wire really early on, and um, there was a bottle of Monkey Shoulder behind the bar in the first place. I just I just smashed it. Horrible stuff. Did you, did you did you clear up afterwards, or did you just uh, leave the fragments of glass everywhere? You are on fire. They say that. Um, you know, having a child and lack of sleep would affect people in a negative way, but you're you are disproving that right now. Well, you know, I'd like to like to buck the trend. I've heard that. All right, we've got some topics of discussion uh, in our little little document here, so let's get, let's go on with that. Really. So first up, on paper, this was one of our most successful seasons ever. Um, thinking about the shows during the course of the season, it didn't really kind of feel like that, but it's done. We've had time to reflect. We've had a little bit of time off from watching Palace. Really, it's about how we feel about it now. Um, I have to say, part of me feels a little bit, um, little bit sheepish about all the chat about tactics and about entertaining football and about Roy in general. And I'm kind of a little bit embarrassed about some of the things that we talked about. However, I suppose a little bit of a straw poll, gents, if you can uh, answer in a sensible order. How many of you throughout the course of the season thought, I want Roy out? Yeah, I I certainly did at points during the season. Um, not because I don't like him, not because I think he's a bad manager, but more because I thought we could be doing a lot better with the squad that we have. I thought we played within ourselves a lot. Um, we were, you know, too conservative at home, and it was a bit of a slog to go to games during during parts of the season, certainly home games. Um, so I sort of was of the opinion that, you know, if it was a sort of mutual parting of ways in the summer where he didn't get sacked but 
you know he didn't he didn't necessarily quit um it was sort of it, it would benefit everyone um and I, I suppose towards the end of the season when we played without you know the, with the shackles off a bit it, it does look a bit silly but it also kind of reinforces what I wanted us to do for the whole season um so yeah I mean I'm happy for him to stay but I would like him to be a bit more adventurous I uh I didn't didn't want him to go at any point uh I felt that at times it was really frustrating uh the first third of the season or so um I was a little bit worried but then I got that usual thing of actually we can go back to the championship and have more games and it'll be beautiful when I got that romanced sort of championship thing in my head and then the same thing that happens every season we're fine and I was like oh okay uh that's not going to happen uh we're into the seventh year and to be honest yeah I if we if we didn't talk about if we didn't moan you know there wouldn't be a podcast and that's the same with any Palace podcast we can listen to the Anfield rap or or whatever other big podcast for probably listen to Man City's podcast and they're going to moan like if you didn't moan they'd be pretty short so uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't feel too bad about a handbo I don't think I ever I'm sure someone could dig up some audio from the the preview pod and completely shoot me down in flames I don't think I ever wanted Roy out in the moment but I certainly had sort of feelings with keeping an eye on the summer and thinking you know if he if he went in the summer I wouldn't be too upset but you know chances are we won't go down because there were some terrible teams no matter how bad we were it, it never really scared me too much about relegation but um yeah I, I certainly never got angry enough to you know demand he go straight away but I, I I can definitely admit to myself that I one eye on the summer I thought yeah I, I wouldn't be too upset if he went and that, that's that's probably still the case to be honest but I'm certainly not going to be gutted if Roy's still our manager come first game of the season I think that's a really interesting and salient point you make there, Albert. But um, what what I think I need to remember is, as, as much as I, I agree that I still have some doubt in the back of my mind over Roy, I still think there is part of me that wouldn't be so upset if he went. It's just the danger of what happens if he left. We all remember Frank De Boer and what happened there. That's that's how bad a decision can go. But I think probably a bit more than that. It, it's just about. As much as I had grievances with how we how we played under Roy at times, you know, it's only that he never really found that the answer at home, away from home. We had more space, and, and you have that thing where the, the opposition, the way they approach the game, has a massive impact on how how we can play as well. It's not just about us being able to go out and dictate how the game goes. And I think as as fans, we do forget that at times. And but I do think that that's what was missing in in our season and in Roy's performance. You know, the points total was brilliant. Um, but you look at what happened when, when both teams went for it on the last day of the season. Great game, great spectacle, and we just overpowered Bournemouth. And I do think in an ideal world, that's that's what you kind of want your team to do, just go out and outscore the opposition. I just don't think we're probably good enough to be able to do that on, on a regular basis. Were you saying that after the 5-4 at Swansea under Pardew? <laughs> no, no, you're quite right, I wasn't. But that was just ridiculous. I, I don't... I'm annoyed that you reminded me of that game, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. Sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. But look, it, there's no there's no doubt that the, the, the frustrations, of course, as, as Mike said, we're, we're there to talk about this stuff on this podcast, but it wasn't just about us being on a podcast and having a moan. I think social media, message boards, all that kind of stuff, every Palace fan in general was, was having a pop, bar a few. 
Um, and, but that's just, that is what we do is just trying to maintain perspective while you're doing it. Yeah. I, I think the other thing to remember as well is, you know, I, I don't think many people are going to expect us to go all out attack against Chelsea and Man City and Arsenal and that, but it was more the games at home against, you know, Newcastle, Southampton, Cardiff, where we didn't really seem to have a plan B. Um, we didn't really know how to break teams down and that sort of continued throughout the season at home, which is kind of a shame. And yeah, we you know, I, I moan more than most, to be fair. Um, but that was the sort of thing that I just think we we should have been able to work out. And if we had it done, then, you know, th- there's no reason we can't finish top eight even. Well, certainly you look at the games, you, know, you mentioned, I mean, Cardiff is a particular bugbear because it followed such a good performance against Man City. Um, you know, it was po- polar opposites, really, the team that, absolutely smash the league we go and beat them at their own place and then we can't can't do anything against Cardiff apart from miss a bunch of chances and I think Roy's always focused on that part that we have created chances in those games where we've struggled at home but again it's the right getting the right people on the end of those chances more often than not that we didn't do at home um, and, we, and we just yeah we, we struggled to to impart a game on teams that didn't really come and attack us yeah I think back to the Grimsby game Ten men for eighty odd minutes, um, and we end up winning one nil thanks to the genius that is Jordan Ayew. Um But I think perhaps a little bit of blame's got to go to the players as well. And I, this culture of always blaming the manager. I mean, I look back at it now, and I think, yeah, he could have done a lot of things differently. But he also could have done a lot of things differently the season before as well. Um, but you know, when we have twenty shots on on goal and five of them are on target, and we only score one, then there's only so much the manager can do. And I think back about some of those games and think, yeah, if we'd had Batshuayi the rest of the season, I think we'd have, probably would have been eighth. Yeah, and I think that's that's a really good point as well. And it's been thrown in my direction a couple of times, but I've been critical of Roy of you know. But look what he's achieved when he's actually had strikers scoring goals. But then you get into that discussion, which we'll, we'll talk about a bit later on, around is, is he playing the right way for the the strikers he does have at his disposal. But you know that aside, I think it is important to to look at the job that Roy has done, and it is a it is a fantastic job that he's done with Palace. And there'll be plenty of teams looking at. Roy Hodgson as a manager and looking at Palace as a club thinking, well, what on earth have you got to complain about? But, you know, if you look at every team, look at every team's message board, as you say, Mike, listen to every team's podcast, they all do the same thing. And, you know, none more so than you look at what happened with Brighton and and them getting rid of Chris Hewton at the end of the season. I think most of us, even though we hate Brighton, will look at Chris Hewton as a as a decent man and a very, very good manager to get them where he did. And he still kept them in division and that wasn't enough. And I've had a couple of people at work ask me, you know, how would you feel about Chris Hewton managing you? Um, I was just going to say, also, Roy is 71 years old. The fact that he can get a tune out of people half a century younger than him. um, Let's not underestimate that because he's older than my dad, like quite a bit older than my dad. And I think most people of that age, you would just go, oh, shut up, granddad's like, seriously. Um, so to even get a tune out of players 50 years younger than him, that's commendable. Yeah, yeah. And look, he's, the players, they do love him. They've got so much respect for him. I'm sure there's a couple on the fringes who are perhaps a little bit, you know, feel a little bit different. But in general, the, the noise that comes out of the team, not just in interviews, but 
from people who, who know players will tell you that they love working with Roy. Uh, they love how simple he makes things um, and that he's not afraid to deliver messages in quite a stern way if they're needed. Yeah, and I, I think as well, you know, trying not to be a complete misery guts. When when we do play good football, especially away from home, we're really good to watch. You know, obviously the defending in that Bournemouth game, last game of the season, wasn't great. But when we were going forward, same against uh, Cardiff away, we were playing some amazing football. You know, and it's, I think that's the thing. It's, you know, this is what we're capable of doing. Um, and once we're safe, it was, it was the same the year before. Once we were safe, we, we started like, you know, knocking teams for five and, and really playing expansive football. And I know that, yeah, he can't do it all the time. Um, but I think it is commendable, like Mike says, that he, he can get these players to, to play in a certain way when it's good, um, that you wouldn't expect someone of his, necessarily of his age to be able to do. So it's certainly not all bad. And I think like Albert said, you know, if he stays, I won't be upset. If he goes, I won't be overly upset, depending on whether we get a, a, a second Frank De Boer in or not. Here's um, a question back at you based on what you've said there. Going to the Bournemouth game, you mentioned that it was the defence that struggled. If we'd had a first-choice defence, um, perhaps there still would have been problems down PVA side, but you know what I mean? If we had a first-choice <laughs> first defence there, would that game have ended 5-0 maybe? That's Yeah, I mean, that's that's another good point. You know, if you think we had a right-footed full-back playing at left centre-back and, you know, a as my, I, you know, I like Martin Kelly, but sort of a reserve centre-half. And you're right. I think if if you've got Tonks and Mama, um, all right, like you say, PVA is probably a bit of a weak link, even though he, he, he did his usual going on the rampage to get a goal. Um, yeah, I don't think we would have let him three. And, and that speaks to how good our centre-backs are normally. Um, so I think, yeah, I think you're right. Okay, well, last little bit on this, actually. I'm gonna, Albert, I've got a question for you, mate. And Eskef mentioned that we, we play some good football at times. Roy is adamant that we, we are a team that plays good football. Do you agree with him? I think we are a team that can play good football. Is that a, too much of a politician's answer? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, of course. We, I mean, we've got some fantastic players. You know, we've, any team that's got, you know, Wilfred Zaha, Andros Townsend and someone like Luca in the middle... Is is more than capable of playing really attractive football going forward. Um, you know whether and when we've got our first choice centre halves, as Sam's just said, you know we're we're tasty at the back. Now whether you call that, you know, I know it's not necessarily appealing on the eye, but yeah, you know when we when we defend well, we defend really well. Um, so of course we're capable of playing a good football, but you know we 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 need to release again. There seems to be this buzzword releasing the shackles. You know we don't we're not we're not encouraged to do it at home. Um, we see it away a lot more. Maybe that's because, again, we think we're certainly against the bigger teams. We're, you know, it's a bit of a free hit. So against teams like City and Arsenal, you know, two of our notable wins this season, that you know, we we tend to just go for it a bit more. Um, so the 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 ability's there, but the, again, there just seems to be a a hesitancy to to do it at home, which you know is 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 frustrating to watch. Yeah, I think you're always going to get. With that, you just get the what if, don't you? We look at our season and we're talking about what a great season it was. But there is that part of your brain. Yes, it could be a what if we hadn't had Roy, we could end up getting relegated. But you also think you know, there's there's a handful of games that you can pick out. We've mentioned some already. And I also had the couple of Brighton games to that as well, where you just think 
and Spurs, I'm going to mention Spurs as well because we played the same way in both the games against Spurs and we just we gave them way too much respect and it, those are the games that annoyed me the most. Um, so you just, yeah, you get that. If you think we picked up 49 points, there was probably a good, dare I say, 15 that were on offer there that we didn't take and probably should have done. Um, and then things look even better than they, than they are. Just say from a neutral's perspective, um, when someone says, are Palace a watchable team? Um, and you think about like Adrian Durham on TalkSport, it's always like at least once a week he's going, oh, this team shouldn't be in the Premier League. Guarantee that Palace are going to entertain either on the counter-attack, great, um, or be bad enough at the back that, um, you know, whoever the other team is uh, benefit. It's not very often that you hear someone go, oh, Palace... You know, they're always just playing for 16th. They're just staying in the Premier League, which is what we are doing. But we don't tend to come up in that conversation, which I think to me is proof that it is it can be attractive football um, because there's, there's many other teams that get tarnished with that brush and probably do better than us. So I, I feel like the fact that it's not talked about is proof that it, it can be decent football to watch. I think that drastically changes if you take Wilf Saha out of the team. So, uh, you know, which is quite a real po- po- possibility. Well, how, so, how many games we might, did we win? We won, did more. we win two in a row without him uh, in the se- earlier in the season? Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, um, but it had been a while since that had happened. But yeah, we did. Um, no, I think it's a, it's a good point that you make. But I think the other thing to consider when looking at kind of that neutral perspective or that you know an opposition fan looking at Palace, I always. You know, when you listen to commentators, they have a tendency to talk about Zaha and Townsend flying down the wing. And you think, actually, we, actually, we don't play like that anymore. Roy doesn't really like wingers. We they go wide, but you know, invariably they're not playing as out and out wingers. They're they're, they're moving all over the front in a in a three or a, in a in a two. Um, so that's not really true anymore. Um, but so people have kind of a preconception when they don't watch the team week in, week out, just like we have a get about other teams and other teams' players. Sometimes it's a bit of a surprise when you actually see them play against you and they're not quite what you thought they were. Um, but anyway, let's let's move on to, um, to our next discussion as we review the season. And that is, let's talk about our favourite matches and our least favourite matches. Um, so I'm going to go straight in there with, I, I can't, I still can't get over the, the 3-2 victory at City because... We didn't. We we did try to sort of keep in the game, but the second we went one nil down, we just went for it. I don't. I don't even think there was. A, it wasn't like it felt like it was an instruction from the bench to do it. It was that was a time where I just felt the players took the initiative, realised that the second City went one nil up, they kind of relaxed a little bit, and we just exploited the space. We exploited their their fullbacks who at times aren't the best because they're so forward focused and it was just glorious and without Townsend screamer we probably don't win the game but I just it was just absolutely glorious anyone else got some uh, some favorites before we get into the least favorites yeah my my favorite um I mean the Man City game's definitely up there um, and we only went because my wife hadn't been to the Etihad so she's trying to tick off all the grounds that she's not been to so Pretty good, pretty good choice to go to that game. Um, but my favourite game uh, of the last season was the Arsenal game that we won three two, 
Uh, and the reason is, I've said this on the preview pod a couple of times, but I've never, before that game, I'd never seen us beat Arsenal live. Um, the game where we won 3 0 at Celeste, I was, I was in France with my mum. Um, and so, you know, I was determined that I would never see us beat them uh, live. And, you know, we, we were brilliant. We were brilliant at the Emirates. We thoroughly deserved it. I think 3 2 actually flattered them a little bit. Um, and obviously, everyone was happy at, at the full time whistle. But yeah, I, I let out some god awful noise at the end because I just <laughs> couldn't believe I'd actually seen us win. So, um, yeah, an unexpected treat that was. I, I'm going to go slightly different because I think the Man City one, everyone would go for that anyway. But, um, you know, since we've been in the Premier League, we have had that knack of getting the odd result against the top teams. But it's the consistency against the lower and middle teams that has really impressed me the last couple of seasons. Obviously, the the, the Leicester bogey team thing and all that kind of stuff. But to beat Wolves 2-0 away um, was... Uh, uh, and more than that, for them to be two late goals... Um, and if you think back perhaps the season before, in my head, uh, it was often us that conceded late on. Um, he's obviously got fitness levels up and that kind of stuff. Um, so for us to score two in the last five minutes or whatever it was, and Jordan Nye to score as well, um, that that meant a lot. Um, I mean, in terms of one until I went to, I think, I think Huddersfield sticks in my memory because we were so absolutely goddamn awful and we still won. Um, it's those games that we used to manage to get a draw out of or lose that meant more. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go with the Wolves game. I'd love to think of something different just for the sake of variety, but I can't. I just cannot look past that Man City game. I know, obviously, Chris has already picked it, but and I, and I, you know, and I wasn't there. Um, but w- watching it at home around Christmas time, um, you know, a couple of beers, obviously, yep. and you know. You know, Townsend's goal. We don't even need to, you know, don't even need to tread that ground again. Well, and let's not forget Jeffrey. Even Jeffrey Schlupp scored a scored a fantastic goal that game, which is you know certainly a treat. Um, and you know, seeing Max Mayer start a game and you know really impose himself on the team and Zaha up top on his own as well. I just it was you know, and you look at fast forward to you know last week and you know Man City have, have cleaned up the domestic treble, which only only highlights how great a performance that was from us to get, you know, to to get that three points. And um, it's just, uh, you know, it's kind of, for me, it kind of, it was not revenge because we, you know, we, we did ourselves proud that, you know, the nil-nil at Sellhurst where we've obviously um, had the penalty saved in the last minute last season, you know, it felt like a, sort of like a little development of that and, you know, almost, almost a bit of justice for that. You know, I can't, I can't see past that any, any better result. No, I agree with that. You know, you get a lot of respect when you when you go and beat Man City in in any sort of in any game where you manage to get a result against them. But to go and beat them the way we did, I just felt that that was kind of us showing what we really could do. The kind of belief that that the fans had in the squad, and it was it was kind of all played out right in front of us. And it's just obviously, as I mentioned earlier, following that up with a nil nil against Cardiff, and you just think that's that's what was getting to us then. Just, just knowing what we're capable of, and just not being able to deliver it. But that level of consistency um, to play it at your very, very best to get results like we did away at City—that's very, very difficult to achieve. 
and it, that's played out every season in every division. Um, so I don't think we can be too upset about that. But it was it's great to hear a couple of different answers there as well. Uh, and there were, you know, there were some. When you look back, there were some really good highlights in the season. Some great moments. It's just um, to to have again. A, I said we wouldn't. We said we wouldn't talk about it too much. But to have that goal from Andros to look back on, you know, you, you go back to Ambrose against Man United. It's at that. It's at that standard. It's that the disbelief when it went in first time. <laughs> then you just the more you watch it, the better it gets as well. Just absolutely brilliant. There's a if you if you look back on the replay of the goal as well and have the sound on. Normally, you know, when the ball hits the net, you hear all the cheering in the distance from the away fans. But there's like a split second of like a different noise because no one can believe that it's gone in before everyone starts cheering. Yeah. Um, and that, I mean, at the time, because it was up the other end from where we were, where we we were stood, and it was it was that second of like disbelief that he's just pulled that out of the locker, you know, out of his locker, and then you can remember that you're. Can go mental and start like dive bombing the, the first row. You've got you've got that sharp intake of breath from a few thousand people. It's a very odd sound, <laughs> and then um, obviously a smattering of sort of semi applause from some of the city fans as well. Um, and then you say, yeah, like the, the carnage that ensues from such a great goal. Um, but you know that's we're now getting to territory that we're much happy about complaining about things. Um, <laughs> games are worst games of the season. Uh, I'm not going to dwell on mine, and I had to struggle picking between both the Brighton games, really. But the away game, obviously, when they went down to 10, that, that was just my low point of the season. And it really put me in a bad mood about Palace for a long, long time, in spite of some of the good stuff that happened after it. I think the way we went about that, and, and in both games against Brighton, that's my biggest criticism of the season, was we didn't. We tr- we tried to do that thing of play it like any other game, and you cannot do that. And someone of Hodgson's vintage should know that and does know that it's wrong to go out there. Yes, you say to your players, have a calm head. You know, don't don't get yourself sent off in the first five minutes. All this kind of stuff. You, you but you play the fixture and Brighton. Ant- and- Anthony Knockhart. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. Um, oh, don't. It's just. Yeah, that that was that was the, the worst for me because we're so much better than them, so so much better than them. To to lose to them twice by allowing them to want it more, and I don't think the players. You can criticize them to a point, but I just think they tried to play the the game plan that they were given, and I think they 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 were they were absolutely in pieces. They were gutted, but you know. It just, yeah, I've I've still not really recovered from it. Ter- terrible matches and, and the away game, by far the worst. So, certainly in the case of the home game, um, I don't mind playing it like it's any other game if, you know, any other game that you play is played well. But that certainly wasn't wasn't the norm for our sort of home, <laughs> our home performances. Uh, but that was a that was a horrible day. I, I can't lie. But the... Again, I, I, for this one, I am going to pick something just for the sake of variety. That the game that really upset me the most this season, and it was you know almost immediately after that game was the was the uh, the quarter final of the cup away at Watford. Um, a, similar sim, for similar reasons, I thought we were so so insipid in that game, and Watford weren't great. Um, pro- probably deserved to win it, you know, on balance. But you look at you look at the second goal that we conceded. Such a terrible, terrible goal to let in and given what happened the week before i.e. the Brighton home game you really thought that 
okay, well, th- this is th- this is the fixture where you know there's a, there's a there's an FA Cup semi final, you know, potentially on offer. We've we've been turned over by our rivals at home. Like this this is the game where we're going to turn up and make amends and. You know, and we all we have this thing about oh, we always beat Watford when it matters, and we'd already lost to them twice that season. Yeah. And to turn up there and just you know, Batshuayi scores a good goal, but to turn up there and put in that performance in a way, I, I was I was more upset by that in the moment than I was by the Brighton game. I think I want to change my answer now after listening to that. Uh, yeah, I I, I I totally blocked the Brighton games out of my mind. So. Uh, when I, when it said in the show notes, right, tell us what your worst game is. They didn't even come into my head, but yeah, the the, the FA Cup game hurt as well. Um, at least at least your son would have been happy, eh, Albert. Uh, I guess shit off. Um, <laughs> uh, but but mine was the uh, let's put the Brighton games aside because it's probably them. But um, mine was the Southampton game, the two nil home defeat. Uh, I remember us being absolutely plain up dog shit in the first half um, and went outside for a moan, um, went out for went out for a vape, moaned to some friends, uh, came back in slightly late to already hear the cheers of us being 1-0 down. Um, and we were so bad that game. Like we were literally at no point did it seem like we'd come away with even a point. Um and by that time, after the, the Fulham 2-0 win, where it looked as though we'd learned all the lessons that we hadn't been learning for the last few years, that, that was the third defeat on a bounce. And I thought, this is just going to be another season of, of that. Um, and that was one of my lowest points of the season. Uh, and it, that, that game was really tough to watch. Yeah, I mean, my, both my answers has all been taken. Um, Brighton away was pretty bad. Uh, sort of made even worse by the fact that uh, the goal they scored from a corner, which I think was just after the uh, Duffy had been sent off, Lewis Dunk was near us. We, we were like third row um, from from the pitch, and we were giving him a lot of a lot of shit, obviously. And then they scored, and he like locked eyes with the section that we were stood in, and really started giving it back. And that's not a position I ever want to be in again because I hate that man very much. Um, but yeah, the, the Watford game for me was. You know that's my other one because you know the atmosphere from from Palace fans was brilliant, and for all Watford said, you know this is our this is going to be our big atmosphere, and they had all the silly little you know paper stuff coming out the roof and all that rubbish. You know our atmosphere was absolutely sensational that game, and when Mishy scored, it went up you know even even higher, and you know you're just thinking this is it now, this is our momentum, and like Albert said, this you know we've lost twice in the league, let's. Let's step it up and do them, and we just didn't. It was just a tired, dull performance, and I really think that it was there for the taking. And all of that put together makes it a very. It was a very disappointing day, unfortunately. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and I think when you get that level of disparity in a lot of the games we've talked about, there, there's a disparity between the the tension and the excitement and the crowd. How up the crowd are for the game, and when when the players don't match it for whatever reason. I think they always stick in the mind as, as really poor games and horrible moments of the season. But I think it's important in talking about those that we also remember we've just talked about some of the you know most historic moments we'll ever see as Palace fans. I think you know as I said, Townsend's goal will, will, will go down in history. Some of those results the same, 
Um, and we have made history in a lot of ways. So again, I think that that victory against Arsenal was historic. We hadn't beaten them in the top division for a while, had we? Certainly not while it was Premier League. I think it was a game where Solago scored a couple, maybe, where we beat them um, previously. But yeah, we just... Yeah, it, it was... There's so much to be happy with, yet you have these... <laughs> these horrible moments. Um, but to move a little bit away from talking about the games, we've covered our, the matches there. There's a, a bit of contact that came in from Paul Gaskin, who's asked this question. He says, how much do you think the home form and terrible start was affected by the HF drama? Uh, assuming by HF, HF drama, obviously the HF weren't attending from the start of the season. Um, and there were a lot of reasons for that. And not everybody's party to even some of the information about that. So it was a lot of, a lot of stuff been said on that, but anyway, that that was the case. They weren't there um, at the start of the season. Um, and so, then, do you think the new singing section will contribute to a be- better start? Well, to, to give you my answers first, the, the second part is easy to answer. Absolutely, I do. Um, uh, it, it's it's got to to have. You hate to say it, but you do have to have organisation. You can't actually necessarily rely on all like-minded people to be in the same place and. When they are, it makes such a difference. You think about the difference between home and away fans. You get a certain type of person generally travels across the country to see their to see their team, and they they generally and I'm talking in general terms because it's not the same for every individual. But generally speaking, they are louder, they are more excitable, they're more supportive. It's it's just how it happens in, in watching football. I think having that section it's, it's not like it's we're the only club to to have ever done it if you look at all the the big atmospheres across europe it's all organized it's all people the like-minded people in the same place and i'm really happy that the club's done it it's a crying shame that some people have been negatively affected by it but change is difficult and, and sometimes we have to accept it and move on and hope that it's for the for the better good and i certainly think it it is for the for the greater good if you like uh, and i do think yes the home form was affected by it to a degree but at the same time I think there was a lot more going on with our home form as we've talked about many times over the course of the season than just a little bit of uh, of an issue in the crowd I think that you have to take that from a personal perspective um, the early season issues with the HF um, because being in B block the games did seem very different Um so I think you personally remember them very differently. Whether the players would admit that it's made a difference to them, they probably wouldn't. I'm sure it did to a degree. Um, and obviously we had a few defeats after after the opening game. Um, but all, all you can sort of say is that um, if in your head you're even asking that question, then it probably means, and this is months and months on, that it must have made a difference to us because it sticks in people's memory. It's still being discussed on the BBS, even though there's nothing new to say whatsoever. Um, it, it's obviously bothered people and it's divided um, the club to an extent. I think I think probably most people are in favour of the singing section this, next season because, you know, they saw it, the, the Spurs game, the Grimsby game. Um, you know, you could see what it, it probably will become. Um, but the fact that there's division amongst the fans does mean that it's going to affect the results both off on the pitch and off off the pitch in your head so yeah I mean I remember those first few games and I thought oh I'm not not down with this you know when you could hear 
homophobic chants and Tommy Robinson chants. We we discussed them because that's not what you want at your club, and that's the. And he still never got a game, did he? He didn't. No, he didn't. <laughs> uh, it sticks in my head more than the games, to be honest. I think there's um, there's another another point to be made in in that if you think about whether or not the singing section is going to make a difference, what I will say about it is where we were heading anyway. And, and anyone who's watched Palace for a decent length of time will will know this, whether they'll admit it to themselves or not. We, we as a club, support-wise, were heading down that route of what it was like with the HF not being there anyway. It was getting quieter. It was getting harder and harder for them to make themselves heard. Um, and it was the, the rest of the crowd, due to the, the makeup of fans in the Premier League to a certain degree... And some sort and other factors as well, but that is where it was heading for us. I feel, and I, I like that we've tried to do something about it. That that's the only thing I would say, um, and it's got to be successful, really. Um, otherwise, it's all this pain for nothing. So I hope people get behind it, and I really hope everyone who's been affected by it is, is has been sorted out in some way, and, and can still enjoy going to see Palace. What if it's not improved? Well, um, then it's it's even more of a shame, I guess. Um, you'd have to because that, that, that's yeah. that's my only that's my only. I, I'm not against it at all, yeah. especially because I've already moved out of Blocky and before being booted out. Um, but you know, like you say, we were kind of already, even though we had a, an organised singing section, we were kind of already, if you want to call it a down, you know, a downward curve in terms of atmosphere. You know. What what you know? Like again, just being devil's advocate. What happens if it's what happens if it doesn't improve things? Our home forms, our home forms never been impeccable, regardless of of atmosphere. So I'm, my only sort of erring on the side of caution is that you know, oh, are we relying too much on this change in the crowd and the atmosphere that all of a sudden you know we are going to start beating Cardiff at home? Do, do you mean say so you're in terms of results or in terms of atmosphere? Well, you know, re- results and performances, because you know, like I say, we've we've said here that we think it affects the players, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so, you know, do we think that having if if that doesn't work and it goes back to you know season before last, where the HF were still a presence but weren't quite as effective, you know, is there, you know, again, I don't know what would not that it's ever going to change back, you know, now now it's sort of been implemented, it's been implemented, but what? I do, I do, I mean, they they could be uh, more vocal than all the seasons before this put together but if Wolf goes and he's not replaced I mean I, I don't see that it's going to make a huge difference but in terms of in terms of whether um, they're going to you know things are going to be louder and, and it's going to be back to how it was a few years ago I, I just having seen the, the cup games I just cannot see that it's going to fail um, you know you've got you've got two and a half times the amount of people in a better position um, and you've got the issue with some of the seats having not gone to the HF this season because because of what happened at the start. I, I, in terms of atmosphere, it's definitely going to improve. There's no way it's not. But, um, you know, wh- whether they've got the power with summer transfers for it to make a difference that much, I'm, I'm not so sure. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, our home form since we got promoted has been pretty crap all all round, hasn't it? So, I, you know, as much as as the, the players say it's great to have good good support, statistically, factually, in terms of results, I don't know how much that actually makes a difference. However, for me, um, I'm in Block D, so I was near them in Block B anyway, and obviously I'll be a lot nearer to them when they're in Block E. It's more about being part of the supporter group and being part of an atmosphere and, you know, having a direct influence on what's going on around you in the stand. Um, you know, when you go to away games and the the atmosphere that we take, it, you know, the atmosphere that we have from the fans that we take away is is brilliant most of the time. And, you know, I mentioned that that Watford atmosphere was unbelievable. Um, and it was the same even at Man City when I think most people who went there weren't expecting anything and it was pouring with rain, but... You know, we made a good day of it, regardless. And it's part; it's been part of, for me anyway. It's been it's part of being something that does make a difference to you. Like if if I just travelled up to, you know, Newcastle or Middlesbrough just to stand there and with my hands in my pockets, watch us, you know, straddle around for a one-all draw and then go home. I don't really see the point. Um, but if you go up there and you contribute to the sound and people getting more enjoyment out of the game, then that makes, you know, it just makes it a much better day out, really. And I think that the HF being vocal and hopefully moving to um, get more people around them being vocal can only be a good thing for the club, even if results on the pitch don't really change. Yeah, a lot of what you said there was, was well, all of what you said there was excellent. I could qualify it with, <laughs> with saying a lot of it. All of what, but you, you've really hit the nail on the head for me. It's, I actually was only talking about atmosphere. I completely forgotten the results thing when I was speaking because, you know, there's only so much you can control from being being a supporter. But it does make a difference. So I do think, I don't think we'd have ever got promoted without the standard of support that we had at that time, and we were so proud of it. You know, to every Palace fan was proud of that and talked about it so positively. And it's only as it started to die and you started to get that. Premier League of fan effect, if you like. If I'm being a bit dismissive, I apologise, but but that's how I feel about it. Um, and that's when the the aggro kind of started, anyway, because you know you, you, we stopped, we stopped, you know, we're still talking about being proud of our support, but the evidence wasn't really there. Um, but this this you know this will hopefully be something much much different. I know a lot of you know the guys have got so much planned, um, you guys in the HF about making this so much more than it ever has been. And I really hope everyone gets behind it. And I'm sure they will, because I say we can't do very much as supporters. Um, but what we can do is get behind our team, whatever's happening on the pitch. And there are times, the times I've, I feel most proud. Um, I go back to a specific game when we were in the Premier League with Dowie as manager against Arsenal and we conceded. And I've never heard us sing so loud after we conceded and then Aki scores moments later. And it just felt like the crowd did that. Um, and you go to the, the Cristanbul game and that, again, that felt like the crowd 
really push that result. Now, it's the players on the pitch that are doing it, but it definitely has an impact. It it, it, it must have an impact. Players have told us it does, and I, I assume that you know, you know, the evidence of our own eyes kind of proves it, really. But it, you know, I, I'm excited for next season. I think it'll be it's so much more enjoyable when you when you've got a great atmosphere. Um, and again, some of the best moments have been celebrating way too much and ending up in a heap on the floor, just going absolutely insane. And th- those are the memories that stick with me as a supporter. And as you say, Esker, if it's not the memories of sitting at the standing at the back on Boxing Day as we lost to Southampton one year. That sticks in my mind because it was so bad, but I'm, I'm not proud of it. Um, so there you go. I think we've uh, we've certainly talked a, a fair bit about that one there. Let's talk a little bit about the players now, if we can, gentlemen. Uh, so I've written best and worst. I think it's always hard when you you know you start talking about the worst players of the season and all that kind of stuff. But hey, that's what we're here to do. Um, Wan obviously winning Players Player of the Year as well as the Player of the Year. I assume nobody's really going to argue with that um, incredible season in his first full season. Um, obviously, the talk of him leaving and all that sort of stuff, hopefully not too likely at this stage, but his reputation has just soared. But more importantly, it's so good to watch a player with that. You know, First of all, the natural defensive ability that he has is incredible. You know, as a, as a natural talent, I've not seen too much like it. Um, but for me, the potential of him getting forward as a modern attacking fullback is he's been growing in confidence with that and we've seen some great skills from him as well um, so I'm very very excited for the future for him as well I think it's also amazing how quickly Palace fans just assume he's not going to get beaten you know like you say it's his first full season but even early on you were just confident that even if he was up against you know Mane or Salah someone like that just you still feel confident that he's he's going to get the better of him which for someone who hasn't been a pro for that long and certainly only made their debut like just over a year ago is like insane to think about, really. Um, and like you say, he's he's been getting a lot more confident going forward. You know, he'd not made a couple of players towards the end of the season and put in a good couple of crosses for Michy to you know, as as the season went on. And yeah, I mean, he got my vote, and it, it as you say, it was hard to look past him. Um, and as important as Wilf is, and you know, Wilf is my favourite player, my, my little caveat. Um, it speaks a lot that Wan-Bissaka was pretty much universally regarded as the best player of the season. I do think the way that um, that Wilf finished the season was incredible. And I, and I almost clicked on him for uh, for the vote. Um, we'll talk more about Wilf in a minute. Mike, you want to jump in? I didn't want to say anything important uh, other than... Uh, for whatever reason this morning, I was looking for a picture of Wan-Bissaka smiling uh, on Google. Uh, it's very hard to find. <laughs> very, very hard to find. So he's a very grounded kid and he is gonna, he's going to go on to much bigger things than Palace. And we all love Palace, but he's going to go on to much bigger things. I, I don't think, it's nothing we, any of us can add. We, we all know that he's special. Sure. Um, Wilf's season was, I think, a good one. If you think, look at his, his goal scoring, um, it was very, very strong. Um, and again, as I said, towards the end of the season, he was just having such an impact. But you can't really say too much more about Wilf. I think, as as was mentioned earlier on, we won a couple of games without him, which, um, which kind of helps because... Well, let's talk about it. I was going to talk about it a little bit later on, but we might as well. Obviously... There's now been two articles, one with quotes that that he wants to leave to push himself. 
there's that interesting reaction of Palace fans where they see a story that they like um, and they and they believe it, or they see a story that they don't like and they find every reason they could possibly find to to rubbish it. Um, I think Wilf did a. I haven't seen it more than a few seconds of it, but uh, Wilf did a video talking about how much you know, talk about his roots in London and how much he loves the place and all that kind of stuff. But and people immediately jumped on that as evidence that he's not going to leave. But um, I think you know he he's he is ready now at, at 26. Some players mature later than others, and I think he's now hit that point. He's all the doubts that any any potential purchaser might have had. Whether Wilf over Wilf's uh, end product or even to some degree his temperament, I think those are ebbing away, and he's now heading towards his his peak uh, abilities. Well, you know when you said that sometimes when you don't watch a team week in week out, uh, another team, you you have a sort of expectation in your head. Um, there's obviously still a big expectation in the head of, of some fans of, of bigger clubs that, um, you know, he's got mentality problem, he dives, all that kind of stuff that they're fed. Um, so, that you know, that's going to uh, play in our favour in terms of keeping him. But um, I just want to go to something that Liam Talbot said, he sent in, uh, and I, I kind of, I agree with him totally on this. It's, it's crossed my mind for a little while now, um, and I think he's hit the nail on the head. Uh, he's pointed out it's going to be an unpopular thing to say and it will be Uh, is it time for Zaha to leave he deserves a shot he's wasted with us Uh, I'm not sure he's wasted with us but I agree with the first bit would we play better when he is gone now that's a a really interesting question Um, others would have to step up uh, a bit like Harry Kane's situation at Tottenham Um, yeah I mean that, that to me at times, I've thought we are too wolf heavy, um, and rely on him too much. And Plan A is past the wolf. Plan B is hopefully past the wolf. Um, and you know, it's, it's occurred to me before. Um, you know, are we stunting the growth of the team by having a, a man as talented as him taking on all the responsibility? Uh, if you, if you, you know, say, say, he went off. I mean, it doesn't look like he's going to go off to anyone in the Premier League to me. But, you know, say he went off, um, got a bit of money to replace him. Would we end up with a more balanced side if it was if the money was invested well? And would we end up more in a situation where we're kind of like more of the other middling teams in the division where we don't have a player that people want to watch on match of the day, but at the same time, you know we're decent across the whole of the pitch for our first 11. I, I think that's kind of what Liam's suggesting. And it has crossed my mind before. Um, I think I'd rather the devil you know and I'd rather keep him. Um, but it is a difficult one because when you've got a player of his quality, naturally everything goes through him. So if we suddenly didn't have him, I don't think our team is strong enough. I think we'd be in big trouble. But if it was invested wisely over the course of a couple of transfer windows, perhaps things would change. Yeah, I mean, I I think we would definitely not be a better team without him. Like, it's fine to say that without him, other players might grow and we might be more rounded as a team. But quite easily, you know, without him, he without our talisman, we could sink like a stone. Um, you know, I, I think he has come a long way this season. And I think the catalyst for it, was the Southampton game where he got sent off, where he got rolled up, got sent off with a clap, 
Um, and we all sort of had a go at him because we were thinking, you know, this is this is something that we've had an issue with for ages. Um, but since then, he seems to have reacted a lot better. And even though in that Bournemouth game, he had a bit of a bit of a fit um, towards the end when when they, you know, he got he got pushed or kicked. He immediately then rinsed their team and set up Andros for the goal. And his performance in that game um, against Bournemouth and his performance in the game against Cardiff the, the week before, it was just unbelievable. He's just such a good player. And yeah, he can definitely play for a team that's better than Palace. But I think from our point of view, if we let him go, we're going to be a much weaker team. And, and you know, do we trust uh, do we trust the club to buy players if we get 100 million for him? Whatever, you know, we won't get 100 million, but if we get like 80 million... Do we trust the club to buy good players with it? Because, you know, we spent 10 million quid or whatever it is on Serlot. And I don't necessarily know that I trust them to do that. And like you say, it's better the devil you know. You know, we we could buy a lot of players who we think are good and could make us a more complete team, a more rounded team. But they might easily not work out. And then we're, you know, a, a very average team without that sort of spark that can that can change a game. Unfortunately, I think I don't, you know, I'm not happy about it and it's not for any negative reasons, but I, I, I do feel Wilf, Wilf's story at Crystal Palace is is almost over. Um, with every transfer window that comes around, I have a quiet word with myself and say, this is, this is it. He's off, he's going to go. And then all of a sudden he's signed a new contract and obviously, you know, very, very thrilled about it. But I think for the last... The last couple of seasons, obviously, we've we've chopped and changed manager. And when Roy came in, you know, still fairly early on last season, and we've you know we finished well. We looked to this season and thought, oh, this is where we're really gonna really gonna kick on, really gonna push, and maybe break the top ten. I, I don't believe European football would be a good thing, but you know, there, there was certainly a a big contingent of Palace fans that thought, you know, if if, it, if all goes well, we could maybe sneak into Europe. Um, Obviously, that hasn't happened, and yet on paper, you look at the numbers and what we've done. It's been a fantastic season, but you know, at home, it's just been so you know so stagnant a lot of the time, um, despite having a player of Zaha's quality. And yeah, everything goes through him. You know, like Mike said, all the plans, whether it's A, B, C, or D, all involve Will Zaha if he's on the pitch. Um, but I, th- I think it's run its course for him. I wouldn't be upset if he went. Um, he deserves a crack, you know. He's like I say, he's twenty six. He's going to go somewhere, sign a four or five year contract, which would take him to his thirty. I don't, I don't know who can afford him, or or who necessarily in the top six, you know, obviously need him. Obviously, you know, Spurs and Arsenal seem obvious, but I don't know if if either of them have got the money. Uh, but you know, he deserves it, and like I say, I, I'll be sadder than anybody. But I do think it's run its course, and you know, I don't like to make a habit of quoting Sting. But, you know, if you love someone, you've got to set them free sometimes. <laughs> You're always quoting Sting. It's ridiculous. Um, no, in all seriousness, you know, the point's been made. It's I can't help but wonder what he would be like with real quality around him. You know, I think I think Man City should have gone for him over Mares, Um, And I think he'd be incredible in their team. And, I, and I'll be honest, I want to see it as much as I never want him to leave Palace. Um, I'd much prefer suddenly to get 
a huge amount of money or a country bankroll in us and get get the best players around him. But I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think there's anything wrong with playing through Wilf. And I understand the the question about would we be a more rounded team, but. You know, as, as people have said, you know, Heskiff in particular, you were, you know, you're saying, can you trust the club to buy it? It's a very, very difficult thing to do anyway. The best will in the world of all the scouting of a player just doesn't settle. All of a sudden, you've you've spent 30, 40 million of this huge sum of money that you've got and uh, and you're worse off for it. It's a, it's a horrible position to be in. Uh, go on, Mike, quick, and then we'll, we'll dive into a couple of other players. Well, just to save us going over Zahar again uh, when we get to transfers, um, just just discuss the options around him. Um, put a poll up on Twitter. Um, people didn't, they just said they didn't really want to know about any rumours involving Zahar because, you know, obvious reasons. Um, but it doesn't sound like he's going to go to Arsenal because they haven't got the money. Spurs have said that they're not uh, going to pursue the matter. So I think running out of options. Um, so, you know, maybe Paris is playing a bit of a blinder with this, but... Um, I'm sure I'm sure we'll have another pod later in the in the in the summer talking about it. No, I, I think what what I will say, I still think there's a relative. The only chance of I, I feel that there is of him remaining at Palace, and I do think it's quite a big chance, is exactly what's being suggested here, which is that that there just won't be a deal out there to be done. Um, I think the interest in him is probably more significant than it has been for a while, because as I understand it, there haven't actually been many bids for Wilf and I don't think there's been an actual bid for him since Tottenham offered £15 million and allegedly a previous manager suggested that that would be enough um, but you know I think there's, there's still a, a chance he would he would stay at Palace if no one comes along with, with enough money um, but you just get into that territory of do we end up with an, un, an unhappy unsettled Wilfred Zaha at Palace and would that be would that be a horrific thing to have to tolerate? Um, so anyway, um, let's dive into some other players. I'm going to throw some names at some individuals and just to get their views on it because we've got to got to get through these a bit quick if we may. And I'm going to chuck Max Mayer in your direction, Albert. What have you thought of him this season in general? Uh, it's it's been a frustrating scenario. I'm not saying he is a frustrating player necessarily. Obviously, there's there's something about him that Roy doesn't necessarily trust. Um, but again, you go through all these home games where we've looked a bit stale, a bit stagnant, and you think, right, well, next next home game, it's definitely, definitely time to give Max a go. And, you know, cut to, he's, he's got a bib on and he's on the subs bench. Um, there's a player there. I mean, as I, as I said sort of earlier on, in that Man City game, he was, I thought he was fantastic. He's definitely, you know, he's definitely shown flashes. He he, he came on when we were uh, down at uh, Anfield and you know scored a goal. He set he set Zaha up for a great goal at Vicarage Road early in the season. There's there's something there, but it's our, it's our system that doesn't seem to do him justice. There seems to be a few players who who fall foul of that. You know, Roy has a system and seems to put the you know the the square pegs in the square holes. Um, He's on a contract, so I'm, you know I'd, I'd be very surprised if we moved him on. But we kind of we kind of need to to maybe think about building the team a bit more around him because you know he's a talent and he's not someone who I'd have expected us to sign. You know we don't really get linked with players of that quality, and you know linking back to what we just talked about, you know if if Zaha goes, does that open up a 
a space for somebody a bit a bit more you know dynamic and a bit more creative like Max. Albert, I'm gonna have an educated guess that you haven't read this on the show document. So have a guess about how many Premier League games Max Mayer has been involved in this season. No, I wasn't. Um what involved in off how, the bench how, how and many, starting? Yeah. Altogether. Oh oh between twenty five and thirty. See, you've ruined it by being right, haven't you? Uh, yeah, 20, 29 games, um, 15 starts, 14 off the bench. So, um, I mean, that that shocked me, actually. Um, I was surprised it was that many. Uh, and I, I know some of those will have been for 10 minutes at a time. Um, but having heard, I don't know, I think we've mentioned it, there was an FYP a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, uh, where uh, Kevin Day had had a chat with um, Roy Hodgson and he said categorically he's in his plans for next season and he's going to be around next season. Um, and he's been, he's definitely been keeping him back a little bit because of the strains and, and understanding the Premier League and how Mayer said that Burnley was the toughest game he's ever had in his career because because of the physicality, that kind of thing. Um, and he reckons he's ready. So I think next season he's going to really push on and I'm, I'm Excited to see him. Okay, so let's talk PVA. Heskiff, over to you. Ooh, um, not a big fan of PVA, I must say. Um, I think this season he he's been particularly bad. He, I think we we all know that sort of the defensive side of his game is probably not his favourite, and certainly not his strongest area uh, on the pitch. Um, and he's always been all right going forward. I think the season before he was he was pretty good going forward, but this season, you know, he's been a bit of a non non event going forward, and it's only really highlighted his deficiencies as a defender. Um, I, d- I don't think he's been helped much, certainly in the first half of the season, by having Schlupp play in front of him. Because um, even though I'm sort of fighting a lone battle with not being a massive Schlupp fan, um, I, th- I think one of one of Jeff's sort of Big weaknesses is is not covering properly, not not marking up or doubling back, um, and I think that PVA needs that. You know, I think if Andros was in front of him, he'd he'd be protected a bit better. Um, and I just think he's yeah, P- PVA has just had a very poor season. Um, and if he's not providing much going forward, then I you know he's not providing much at all. And it's only because I think Schlupp is also not a left back. That he's really had much, much game time, um, and we had a couple of games where Joel Ward played at left back. I think he played left back against Arsenal, and actually, I thought he was better than PVA had been all season. So I think that speaks volumes for his uh, PVA's performance this this campaign. Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely forgotten how competent a left back Joel Ward was, and it, it, I did it think it really made a difference, especially as. Um... Especially this season, Hodgson's really asked the fullbacks to tuck in at times and become very, very narrow out of possession. And I think at times that scene when Pazaka get caught out of possession, not anywhere near as often as PVA, but it really doesn't suit PVA's game to do that. Um, and as you say, the lack of cover in front of him at times. You know, Jeffrey Schlupp has had a pretty decent impact at times this season, got some important goals, but he doesn't always run back with any real urgency and um, you know and it does you know both of them really get exposed when the two are playing 
to, together on that left side. But yeah, not his not his best season. And it was after a very, very good year last year where, as you say, those deficiencies, we kind of tolerated them. We we accepted them as, as a trade-off with just how good he was going forward. Linking up with Wilf, being a real goal threat. Still got a decent number of goals. But uh, certainly a little drop-off in form there from PVA. Uh, we can't talk about every player uh, because of time. But let's talk about the goalkeeper situation before we move on. Talk a bit more about transfers before we end. Um, I thought it took a while for for Roy to, and I suppose it's only right to give the number one goalkeeper at the club time um, to try and keep his place. Uh, and that transition, I think, was also affected by the fact that Guaita needed to learn to speak the language, uh, which he did pretty pretty well, pretty quickly. Um, but I think by the end of the season, I was just really impressed with what we have in goal. I think he's just an excellent shot stopper. We've seen so many incredible saves from him and, and saves that anyone who's has sympathy with Wayne Hennessy is the way he's been treated as a as a Palace player, you know, tends to suggest that oh as soon you know, as soon as Guaita makes a mistake, oh Wayne would have got crucified if he'd done that. It's like, well honestly Wayne doesn't make as anywhere near as many as those those match winning save, the kind of save equivalent of scoring a goal up the other end. And Vincente Guaita does. He's just a top, top keeper and the sort of keeper you need in the Premier League. So um, so I've taken that one a bit. I will mention Hennessy because, you know, I think he's improved as a goalkeeper um, at, at Palace. He had to, but I think there was a couple of games this, this year where he was, you know, his deficiencies were shown. And I've got no ill feeling towards him, although obviously the incident um, off the pitch did not show him in a very good light. His explanation was accepted, but his explanation didn't really show him in a very good light either. So it's not really something um, really that's going to win him any friends um, at the club, I don't think. So, yeah, go on, Albert. Well, apparently it was all a big misunderstanding. Apparently at that dinner, they did a show of hands with who wanted Wayne Hennessy to be the number one goalkeeper. <laughs> and uh, Wayne Wayne put his hand up and apparently that's how it all came and was shouting at the same time. As, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out for Wayne. Something like that. Well, no, I don't make light of it too much. I mean, we kind of have to, to a degree, but obviously it's not, it's not a good thing. He, he was an idiot for doing what he did, no matter how it, how it came about. The, you know, the, the, the thing that happened was idiotic and the explanation, you know, possibly made him look more of an idiot. The only thing that could have made it worse was exactly the explanation that he gave for it happening. It was ridiculous. I've got to say, I've been re-watching the, uh, the World at War documentaries the last few days. And last night I got to the genocide documentary. There. So, uh, yeah, uh, you got to say, he can't make light of it, really. Uh, but he managed to put it off, didn't he? Um, what surprised me when I looked through the stats for this season is that he actually played... He only played three games less than Guaita did. Um, played 20 games. Uh, and I know, as you said, at the start of the season, you know, he was trying to bed Guaita in and, and all that kind of stuff. But I think that proves that he absolutely is going to be the second choice keeper next season. Um, so he's not going anywhere. Um, and I think he is a decent second choice keeper, to be honest. 
Um, he's not going to kick up a massive fuss if he doesn't play. Play, he's going to take his cash and play the cup games and whatever. Um, you know, I, I would say that there's some teams in the Premier League that probably be quite happy if they had Wayne Hennessy as number two. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe, but um, not too many that would probably have him as number one. And I don't mean to be disrespectful there. As I said before, being a a top goalkeeper is you know it's, there's not there's a huge amount of goalkeepers and he's he's an international goalkeeper and he's played regularly in the Premier League so he's obviously a good goalkeeper it's just to be a top club you need a top goalkeeper and I don't think he quite has it uh, there's a few other players that you know I don't want to gloss over them really but for time reasons we're probably going to have to obviously Benteke disrupted season um, injury in particular causing that but not really found the form um, some little glimpses on his return. There was that overhead kick um, in particular. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of, it's in the coming into the last year of his contract. There's that, the quotes. I think someone's put the quotes in the dock. Uh, oh dear, I'm struggling now. But he was quite, it's, it's further down, isn't it? Uh, sorry, <laughs> further down. I'm referring to a document that no one listening can see. I'm good like that. Um, but I think there was quotes to Dominic Fifield, wasn't it? Where he was talking about, Roy's system and how he doesn't necessarily fit into it. Um, um, that he still feels he's been sort of. I don't think he was out and out saying, "Oh, I'm going to stay and see out my contract." And I, you know, he's got criticism for what he said. I think he was just making the point that people have to perhaps judge him a little bit differently. Yeah, I think he. Um, I think he was initially asked about the the rumor of him going to China. And he was saying, you know, he, he's fully thinking about Palace next season. He knows that he had a bit of a stop-start season and, um, you know, he just wants to concentrate on on getting a full season with us. Um, and then he's just said, you know, in his first season, we had uh, Andros and Will from the wings putting a lot of crosses in, which suits him a lot. And it does. I mean, he's, he's right about that, 17 goals. Um, but now we, we're not playing in that in that way and it doesn't necessarily suit his usual style of play. And I don't think he was being critical. I think he was just saying, you know, the reason I haven't scored 17 goals is because I haven't been getting the crosses that I can get on the end of. Um, so I think people were being a bit harsh by by giving him a bit of a dig for saying it because, you know, it's what we're all saying as well. I mean, yeah, we want him to score more, but if he's good in the air and we're not crossing the ball in the air, then he's going to struggle a bit. So, um yeah, like you say, tough season for him. But there were glimpses. I think if that overhead kick had gone in, it would have done absolute wonders for him. Um, but you know, the game against Arsenal away, I thought he was very, very good, and he had a he had a couple of other good games. So hopefully, he can. Even if he's not going to get seventeen goals, hopefully he can get more than one. But I mean, there's plenty of players that have adapted their game uh, to play under Hodgson. So um, regardless of what context those comments came in um, I think it just proves that he, he hasn't adapted his game um, and that could be because he's incapable because that's you know he's he's got a skill when he wants to play to it in which case you know Hodgson staying next season so I can't see it drastically changing No for sure and I think one of the things that gets said quite a lot is making excuses for around the way we play. And look, we have, as, as was mentioned, we have said it all season. We're not really playing to his strengths. But 
it gets pointed out quite regularly and quite truthfully that he has had opportunities, glaring opportunities that he's missed. I think a lot of that comes from the the type of opportunity, but some of them you just there's not really an excuse for it other than it's a player low on confidence, out of form, trying to find his feet, and you can't really carry that. And I think people get very hung up on the the hundred grand a week, the thirty million quid we paid for him, all that kind of stuff, and and say that it's not an excuse, but. Their players are human beings, and, and these things do happen. But I, I, you know, as you say, Hodgson still being our manager, we're still going to play the same way. Um, so unless something dramatic happens, it, it's going to be difficult to see him being the player he he previously was. And and it suggests that it would be best best for both parties, us for from a wages perspective, and him from a, enjoying his football perspective, that that he would move on. But. Um, I, I dare say also it might appeal to him just to try that one last year, not sign a new deal and, and see it out and, and maybe look elsewhere uh, for a more lucrative deal at the end of that. So let's see how that pans out. But again, not, not a great season from Benteke. Definitely a, a disappointment, although there are mitigating factors there. Uh, I was surprised Kuyate didn't feature as much, played some great games, but also um, in a couple of looked a little bit off the pace. But yeah, again, the first season at Palace, in and out of the side, so it's kind of difficult to get any real rhythm there. Um, I was going to talk a fair bit about... Oh, go on, Mike, jump in, mate. I just wanted to say, having looked at the stats, I was absolutely shocked to find that Kiwate played the same amount of games as Schlupp this season. Um, and, and yeah, and you'd think, okay, that's because he's come off the bench, but no, Schlupp came off the bench more than Kiwate. So that, 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 that really surprised me. I think it was, if I remember rightly, Schlepp was out of the team early on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, before getting back in. Obviously, but uh, uh, that's, that's still surprising. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm quite surprised as well, yeah. I was going to talk a little bit about Macquarie. You know, I think he was joined, or at least, I know he might have been out on his own as, as, as our top assist uh, with six for the season, which uh, begs a whole load of questions we haven't got time for. Um, I, I, I say this with the greatest respect to him. In that I, I felt it was a disappointing season from him. I think, again, there was a bit of disruption in him being moved about in that midfield. Um, and he had some some standout games and some games where he was, you know, had some serious impact. Uh, a couple of times when he came off the bench, he made a real difference to the side. But I think perhaps my expectations of him were quite high because I really do rate him as a player. And he's been the one I've looked at and I've felt has probably declined a little bit and would be a player I'd be looking to replace. And I suppose part of that is desperately wanting Max Mayer to settle and, and show his class and, and, and feeling that Maka was probably the man to come out of the team to accommodate that but um, haven't got a huge amount of time to get into that so we'll probably just leave that there uh, I, I suppose there's a I don't know who put this one in there Jairo Riedeveld who wants to take that one for the last player we'll talk about for now uh, yeah that was me because I, I, I just I feel like he needs to be mentioned so four games this season one in the FA Cup and three in the League Cup I mean it's just the poor guys, uh, not poor because he earns much, much more than me, but metaphorically poor. Um, he's just watched his old sides do amazing things, win win the Dutch League, um, you know, do well in the Champions League. I'm, I still hope we can keep hold of him and he can be made use of next season, but uh, it's sad times. It's really sad times. Um, I, I, I just don't see, you know, if we get rid of him, he's not going to go for much because, well, we've paid £8 million for him and it's not like we've 
made him come on anything. Um, I just feel like he needs to go for his own good, really. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. And look, he's there's obviously a good player in there, you know, without without any shadow of a doubt. But yeah, he hasn't obviously hasn't sold himself to to the management and hasn't hasn't nailed down a place. And as much as people can look at the reasons for that, the ultimate reason has to be him. It has to be down to him to prove himself and to convince the the coaching staff that he's worth a place. And he's never done that. Um, so I think perhaps just completely the wrong environment. Obviously joined the club under a previous manager who was out the door pretty quickly, probably quite disruptive. Uh, but again, you can only look at that for so long before it becomes a nothing excuse. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed in, in the fact it hasn't worked out for him, but I'm also disappointed in him that he hasn't made it work. So there you go. Uh, so let's jump very quickly into the sort of transfers and contracts situation. So we're going to have to, you know, trust in our, our previous tributes and comments to the fact that Jules has gone after such a long service uh, and what a legend he is. And there's no point in me repeating myself from before. So go and listen to the previous podcast. Uh, similarly for Punch, um, you know, mainstays in our side, both of them, a huge contribution to Crystal Palace. Sad to see him go, but obviously probably the right decision, um, you would say, for both without doubt. Um Pup Suarez likely gone. Don't think we'll be offering him a new deal. He's not really played. Uh, suggestions he might end up at Marseille. Apparently seen at their training ground. Uh, looks like Bakary Sacco will probably go as well. It was only a short-term deal. Didn't really play, but you never know. Um, so let's talk about the new deal for Connor Wickham. Um, anybody want to take that to, to, to give me some comments on who was uh, potentially surprised or what we think about that? I mean, I wasn't surprised... Um, if you look at it, that's why oh, there's the zero chance of us getting him, you know, with the Chelsea embargo, that kind of stuff. Um, it seemed to me, I, I know nothing, you know, I'm not an insider at the club, but it seemed to me like they were, they sort of thought Benteke might go. Um, so you, you've got no one else. I mean, Sherlock injured at the moment anyway. Um, it's done all right again, but uh, you know I can't necessarily see him getting two more chances, too many more chances. Um, so the obvious first choice uh, striker is Wickham. So they had to give him another contract, really, didn't they? And and uh, it, it it's not it's not a high gamble thing to. I, I know people were slagging him off and saying why, but it's not a high gamble thing to do contract extension presumably on the wage that he's on now um you know he's already on the books with that wage it's not going to make a massive difference to incomings and outgoings he's got to be there whether he stays fit or not he's another striker and we haven't got many well for for a club that's you know we all know the situation that was it nearly 80% of our turnover goes on wages and i've got nothing against Connor Wickham as a player and i say this purely with a a football, whatever business head on, I'd be I'd be very very surprised if if he hasn't taken a slight hit in wages or or it's more you know performance related, not not necessarily pay as you play, but um, for a club that needs to be a bit more savvy with wages, I I I'm not disappointed that he signed a contract by any means. I like him when he's fit, he's effective, but 
I, I, I can't help but say I would be disappointed if if he had signed on the same terms. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll chuck a couple of things out there. I know there's some complications around whether or not you can actually offer, a, you know, or how you offer a player um, less wages than they're currently on, or something like. That. I can't remember exactly what it is, but obviously the the player certainly has to be willing to accept that. I think. Again, talking about his injuries, he was out a very, very long time and had a lot of niggly injuries on his way back. He got got back fit, obviously scored against Spurs in the Cup um, and then sort of came out of the squad. And you only saw him come back into the squad when there were further injuries. So what, what I'm saying that is it, I think there was an assumption that he got injured again in that process. And I, I don't actually think that was the case. He was always there in the training videos. I just think, he was ch- not chosen to be selected for whatever reason for that period of time. And I think the club quite rightly are, are probably looking after their asset there a, a little bit. And it was coming to the end, coming to the last year of a deal, extending it on his terms and giving him a chance to to get back playing and get a good pre-season under his belt. And you could still have a very, very good striker there. And it, it makes perfect sense to me. And I think... I. Everyone leans on how much you're paying, how much they're paying him to not play, and it's. I think talk, you know, listen to any interview of any professional sportsman who's not playing through injury, and you can see that the the pain it causes them. You know, it's a it's it's a very very difficult thing to to be sidelined, be away because you know it's a team sport. It's all about the dressing room, the camaraderie, all that kind of stuff. For the vast majority of players, and that obviously the wages are lovely, I'm sure, but. You know, he's also a human being with a life, and that's going to be a, a, a difficult life for the last couple of years on, on a number of fronts. And just having money doesn't change that. So I think people need to be a little bit more uh, humane in their treatment of footballers at times. So I, I hope he has a, a nice summer off, comes back fit, raring to go, has a good preseason, starts scoring some goals again because on form he's a very, very talented player, an incredible handful up up top, and. And I dare say would suit Roy's system to that down to the ground because he's got a good engine on him, good height, holds ball up well, can score goals and could also play in a number of positions across the front. So realistically, we've got to try everything we can to keep him for all the reasons that have just been said uh, in terms of what our striking options might actually be next year and how much money it costs to replace those players. If you let him go, you get his wages off the books. You've still got to take a pump, pay a transfer fee or sign a, a player on a free on high wages You've still got to hope that that works out, and it and it might not. So there we go. Uh, so that's our bit on uh, Connor Wickham, Luca. Um, there's a question here. I think Mike, you pop this in there. Do you want to take that one? So so Rob has asked, how confident are you that Luca will sign a new contract? And obviously, I will say that I have nothing to do with the club, so I don't know whether he will sign a new contract. Um, I know that there was rumours that what they were offering him because you know as is the case with a lot of clubs when there's one player that's underperforming on a high wage then the players that are on a lower wage that are doing well you know are going to question why they're not on the same wage so you know him him being on under half what Benteke is on um he's not going to be too happy and he's coming to the end of his contract. So trying to negotiate a new one will be difficult. Um, I, I would imagine that we've got the, the right people at the club to get to get him a new contract unless he really wants to go. So um, I'm not 100% confident that 
a new contract will be sorted because he might have his eye other places. But if he doesn't, I'm, I'm sure that they'll sort things out. Um, you know, he can't guarantee that he's just going to go to another club and be as successful and as legendary as he is at Palace. So he's going to take that into account, I would have thought. I think it depends hugely on, you know, we've already shifted a few players off the wage bill, um, but that by certainly no means puts us into a comfortable position with you know money to splash. I think if either Ben Teke or, or Wilf move on, you know, we're not going to sign replacements on same wages as those guys. You know, they're both meant to be on a hundred grand plus. And you'd like to think that, if, again, if either of those players are going to move, they'll move this summer and that, that gives us time to sort of rebalance the, the wage bill and, and maybe chuck a, a, a big proportion of that freed up, you know, turnover towards Luca. Um, but I think it's a bit too early to say. Again, we need we need all the pieces to kind of shift before before we know what we could offer him potentially. Yeah, definitely. I think hopefully it's just early negotiations. But um, I think if he doesn't sign a new deal, that's that. the other side of it is, you know, we have to try to look to sell him. Um, so fingers crossed it doesn't come to that. But there's no doubt looking at the 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 wages part of turnover situation at Palace, there's zero doubt we are having to cut costs. We're having to cut those wages, get that under control because it has spiralled. Um, and the longer in the Premier League, the, the easier it will get for that to spiral further. Um, so a, a big summer for Palace. But like you say, moving people out will probably hopefully uh, resolve that situation. But I've got a, got a bit of fear, I have to say. Um, so there we go. Uh, so a couple of other other things. We won't go too far into the rumours. There'll be probably other chances over the summer and certainly pre-season to talk about transfers in a bit more detail. But uh, one that did stick out to me, uh, I think it came out today. Um, and this got to be a, a potential Wilf replacement because they're very similar players. So Alan St-Maxim, who um, plays for Nice in France, very, very tricky, skillful winger. And it says that there apparently there are a trio of Premier League clubs interested. So it's Everton, us and Newcastle. Um, so obviously Everton have a fair bit of cash these days. Um, and he's he's told reporters he's in he's in discussions with clubs abroad. That'd be a very exciting signing. But if we were to sign him, in my opinion, that would probably point to a Zaha exit. But, well, let's hope not. A um, few other Zexit. links. A Zexit. Oh, nice. Nice. That's what Topical. he's here for. Topical. Yeah. Um, there's also... Uh, let's let's pick another one out there, which is potentially also a replacement were a player to leave, um, probably. And that is a rumour for about Nathaniel Klein. So Rob Leonard got in touch and said, do you think that this supposed interest in bringing back Klein is part of a plan if uh, uh, Wambazaka leaves or as cover? Um, first of all, you know, Nathaniel Klein's star has sunk somewhat by the looks of things. It would, it would, Suggest to me that it would be a replacement. I'm not so sure um, I would be necessarily for it. A very good player on his day, but is he the player that, that left? Is he is he a better option? You'd, I'd, I'd rather keep Wambazaka. Yeah, I'm the same. Um, we saw him get, get skinned a little bit by Wilf in the last game of the season. Actually, I'd forgotten that he was at Bournemouth until they read the teams out. Um, but in terms of coming in, if that, if it's true, obviously, like you say, pinch of salt with these rumours. But I'd be surprised if he'd come to Palace to be a reserve. You know, he's a reserve at Liverpool. So if if you're moving teams and getting just as just as little game time as you are anyway, then it's a bit of a bit of an odd move. Um, which I assume is why he'd gone to Bournemouth. 
um, to you know to get more minutes. Uh, so I mean, yeah, I definitely would rather have Wambasaka. I, I loved Nate when he was a Palace player. I think he's a good player, but like you say, his, his star's fallen a bit. I don't think he's quite as highly revered as he was when he was with us um, and Southampton. Um, so I'd be, yeah, I'd be pretty shocked if we brought him in just to have a you know have him as a reserve because. We might as well just keep Wardy for that. I think Ward's happy to to play that role and, and he's good when he comes in. So I don't really see the need for another right back. It seems to me like taking two and two and making five, uh, you know, the expectation that Wan-Bissaka might go. So, uh, you know, who do they look at as a story to replace him? Someone that's already played for us. Uh, someone that's not been playing that much football, uh, Nathaniel Klein. So I, I, I really can't see there's a lot of truth in it. As much as, you know, if Wan-Bissaka went, then that would be great. But hopefully he won't. Yeah. Um, so we won't do too much more because everything at this stage is very early, obviously, to be talking about who we're going to sign over the summer. Uh, I'll just throw a few, few names that have been uh, out there. So I think, I'm just trying to select the ones that I like. <laughs> Not necessarily like, but I think are potentially realistic. Uh, we've rumoured for quite a while about Jack Butland as a, as a keeper, but when you actually look at it, we're not going to spend the kind of money it's going to take, surely, unless... I could only see that if we actually sold Guaita back to... There was some rumour he was going to go back to Spain or something like that at some point, but I don't think he has any intention of leaving Palace. I don't think we'll sell him. Uh, and for that reason, I can't see us chucking... 25 million or whatever it is uh, for for Jack Butland, but there's you know been rumours for quite some time of that one, so who knows? Um, Jordan Ayew obviously rumoured repeatedly. Um, there's some suggestion that Southampton were were in for him as well, which is not surprising because he played pretty well against them last time out. Um, and also rumours from the Championship. Che Adams uh, had a great season for Birmingham. Jack, Jack Grealish was uh, rumoured as potential Wilf replacement, I believe. Um, Nick Powell I've seen rumoured as well for once of Manchester United tipped for the very very top when they've got him from crew um, and sort of starting to, to well starting to, he's been doing quite well for a couple of seasons down in the championship um, someone's put James Justin from Luton Town haven't seen that one uh, yeah that came up today uh, apparently seven and a half million quid though so um, we'll see but oh. he, he does look pretty decent well there you go so Sure, there'll be plenty more of that in the future. I was going to talk about the fact we are the twenty. Well, we've got the twenty-fourth biggest turnover in world football, and I've written there in a very cryptic way. It's we've come a long way, or have we? Because there's lots of reasons why that doesn't necessarily mean a lot. Because of just how expensive it is to operate in the Premier League. You know, last set of accounts, we lost thirty-five million quid. So, um, but that's it, it. Shows you just how huge the Premier League is, and you think about. The nine years since uh, since twenty ten came in, and now now have the twenty fourth biggest turnover in world football. It's absolutely stunning turnover events, but I guess we'll have to leave that for another time. Um, see, there's a couple more bits I want to pop, pop, uh, pick on. We've t- uh, covered Liam Talbot's comments about Wilfred Zaha that you mentioned earlier on. So we'll go for um, I'll just a quick question for all of you. Um, where do you think we need to strengthen most? And I'm going to ask you first, Albert. D- definitely on the pitch. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> Good answer. I think that covers everything, yeah. yeah uh, <laughs> we need something up top, something different, something new. Um, 
again, depends on even if Benteke stays, even if Wickham's fit, even if we sign Jordan Ayew, we need we need something else, potentially more if if you know any of those names aren't at the club next season. Uh, I think we're right at the back. Depend again. There's talk that Sacco might be going. I've heard rumours, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, up top definitely, and an actual left back that we could actually put all of our faith in all of the time would be pretty nice. If there's any way we could clone Aaron Wan-Bissaka and give him a left foot, that would be ideal. Well, you know, Tyro, Ty, uh, yeah, Ty, Tyrick Mitchell, uh, doing, he's been trained with the first team for quite a while. Had a nice little run out against Dulwich in that friendly last year. Looks, uh, looks a prospect. I'm just saying, maybe it's already there. I'm, I'm open to it. <laughs> Good, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Eskif, what do you think? Yeah, Albert's taken my answer there a bit annoyingly. Cheers, Albert. Um, we d- I definitely think another striker is needed um, a, and a different style of striker to Benteke and Wickham. You know, I think when we... we obviously, I don't think we're going to get Michi in uh, full-time or even on loan again. And as much as I've sort of given him a bit of stick for not really doing much outside the box. The fact that he is good in the box is something that we haven't really had for, for for quite some time. And if you get enough decent deliveries in there, he will score. So, you know, the sort of crosses that Benteke doesn't want are the sort of crosses that Batshuayi would score. And having that, and it's a very big ask to get a striker like that in, because, you know, you'd be having to shell out a lot of money. Um, I think that would do us a lot of good. Uh, and yeah, like like Albert said, a left back because you know it is it is our weak point in defence, and I think our defence is pretty strong actually. You know the the two centre halves, first choice centre halves are very good. Juan Bissaka is great. I think Guay is a very good goalkeeper. So it is always you know when the other team are attacking down our left hand side that I get a bit worried. So certainly, if we can pluck a sort of jewel from lower leagues or something like that out of uh, out of the hat, then uh, I think that will stand us in very good stead. Anything uh, different to add, Mike? Uh, if we're playing four in midfield uh, and Wilf isn't there, I think left midfield is the weak point. Someone to cover PVA. Um, if we're playing three, then yeah, we, we need someone left back. I'd um, I like to throw in there that I think we need a young-ish centre back. I just think cover this year we've we've been lucky to have kelly and dan but the the sort of rate of injuries potentially sacco going if he does but even if he doesn't i just think we very nearly got exposed and having to play wardius uh center back we did a half decent job bless him um but in the last game of the season i just think there's got we've got to try to in, inject some youth into there um and, and someone who can stay fit and play regularly because we, we just seem to get exposed in that position over the course of a season. So I'd like to see some new blood in there. Uh, but other than that, just echo what everybody said. So uh, good stuff there. And finally, Rob too got in touch with us. So he wants a bold prediction from each of us. Uh, Mike, you first. Bold prediction, please. Uh, Alexander Serlot won't play any more games for Palace. Not sure how bold that is, but that'll get that'll do. Uh, Albert, bold prediction for next season. Oh Christ! Uh, <laughs> uh, 
bold. It's so, so skewed. Palace to play well at home for a bit? <laughs> That'll do. I'll take that. That's good. How about you? Wilf, Wambasaka, and Sacco will be Palace players at the start of next season. Well, that is a bold prediction. I don't necessarily believe it, but we'll go over it. We'll go over it. Okay. Um, I'm going to. I don't want to do this. Just so you know, I don't want to do this, but I'm, I've been asked for a bold prediction and I'm going to go with a bold prediction. Oh, but does bold necessarily have a positive connotation? It doesn't, does it? So I'm going to have to go the other way. My bold prediction is that uh, Zaha will leave, Zako will leave, and Luca will leave, and uh, Roy Hodgson will be sacked by Christmas and will be relegated. <laughs> Thanks wow. for listening, everyone. <laughs> Cheers, everyone. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Um, but just, just for wow. the record, um, I also, my opposite prediction, which is just as valid, will be that we will keep all those players and crack the top four. So um, I can go either way. Um, let's pretend I said the second one and not the first one, all right? Um, yeah, I shouldn't really have ended the... I can't, I can't look past it. Shouldn't really have ended the show with, uh, with that, really, should I? Kind of a bit of an error, I think. Um could be so worse, anyway, for it, Hambo. You could be doing a weekly show with Albert. That is true, and I have, I have been able to, to shake that. But um, hey, it's been fun though. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed you being on, Sam. Thanks. Thanks. It's been very fun being on. Good, uh, Albert. It's been nice to talk to you again. Thanks, mate. Yes. Yeah. Fuck you, Sam. And uh, Mike. Yeah, just the same thing. <sighs> Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much, um, panel, for uh, for everything. Cheers to Mikey for producing this. Um, it was quite challenging at times. Obviously, brilliant. Thank you for listening. And, um, yeah, the Love Sports shows will be running throughout the summer, be it stripped down to an hour. Uh, but the guys will still keep doing those um, under duress. Now, that's not quite true. It's nearly true. Um, but, obviously, we will also... Well, I don't know if I could tease these because we still haven't written them, but we might be doing some shows across the summer that you may enjoy. Um, we're also asking for uh, donations at some point. We'll try and put that out in a more visible way because not everybody's seen it, including me. Uh, so we'll try and do that. So keep an eye on our social media accounts um, for all that information. Um, you can also PayPal us. Just go PayPal high at backofthenest.com if you fancy donating anything. We'll gratefully receive it. Uh, But other than that, uh, we'll speak to you again soon. Thank you very much. Bye. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.